Hello, and welcome to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. Welcome to season three. I am just so excited for this season because I am doing something that I have never done before. In this season, I am going to interview instructional designers in the field and online learning professionals. This season is all about their journey and their background to where they are today. And the one thing that I notice that really threads through each person I interview is this innate ability to take these soft skills and skills that they have from previous careers, previous scholarly work, and apply it to the instructional design field. And the goal of this season is really just to empower you, the listener, to show that you can become an instructional designer and be successful in this career. I am so excited to be able to share these stories and to create a community and safe space to have these conversations. So let's get started. My first guest is also a graduate of the Institute for Emerging Leaders in Online Learning through the Online Learning Consortium. Um, he's a fellow 2018 graduate with me. And if you have not heard of that program, I highly, highly suggest you take a look at it. So uh, Tyler Watts, he is an assistant professor and also a coordinator of a Master's of Education in Instructional Design. He has experience in administration, curriculum and instructional design, technology implementation, organizational development, and also distance education administration. Um, okay, so why don't you start off just by telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, so my name is Tyler Watts. Uh, I'm actually an assistant professor of instructional design at Southern Wesleyan University. Um, and I've been involved directly in instructional design since about 2013 and uh, switched over more to kind of our faculty role in 2019. So we have a master's program teaching about the discipline and uh, been involved in that for about three years. So I'm based in Greenville, South Carolina been here about seven years and I'm originally from California but kind of took a roundabout way to get to to South Carolina where I'm at now. That's awesome so completely different sides of uh, the country opposite sides of the country. Yes yep. <laughs> yeah that's awesome so how would you describe um, so did you work in instructional design in 2013 then? Yes so okay. um, I actually so I, I had some teaching opportunities abroad and I came back to the States and that was really, I was doing um, some work kind of adjacent to instructional design, but that was the first time where I had a position where I was directly involved in instructional design and um, in a position in Georgia at the time, um, working for a, a state college there uh, in a role that I was actually working with faculty and developing their courses alongside them. That's awesome. So how would you describe um, like being an instructional designer versus teaching about it? I would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I, I guess I still take on projects because I miss the hands-on element. So I still have a couple of little contract things here and there because one, it gives me experience of different approaches at different institutions because everybody just does things a little bit differently depending on the culture 
depending on um, just the setup and the process that they have. Uh, but so that keeps me kind of grounded in the field, I guess. But then I think what, you know, what you were describing at the beginning of just the diversity of how people are coming into the field and what backgrounds they're coming um, from is just really has been one of the benefits of teaching because you just have, I've got folks who are working in corporate environments, people who are a lot of K through 12 educators, unfortunately looking for opportunities outside of K through 12, which I hate to pull them from that field, but I understand the mentality. Um, so just a real diversity of, of backgrounds that you get people who are really kind of just collaborating with each other in unique ways and learning. And I'm learning a lot because I've primarily worked in higher education. So I'm learning from our students who are coming from a, a corporate background. And that's just been really cool to see. And then just to see them grow and what kind of opportunities they have outside of, of uh, our coursework. So it's been really great. That's awesome. I love the different perspectives you're getting. Um, I'm, I'm similar where I've uh, only have the higher ed background. So I'm always mm -hmm. fascinated by anyone working in the, the corporate field. That's awesome. Um, I agree. I feel like with um, instructional design, once you get into it, you're like, but I need more of it. Like, I, I don't want to <laughs> give it up anywhere. <laughs> um, Absolutely. Yes. Uh, so you touched on this a little bit when you talked about teaching overseas. Um, so what is your academic and like scholarly background? Sure. Um, I think I took a while to figure out kind of what I wanted to be when I grew up, so to speak. Um, but looking back, I guess I, I can see kind of how education and more broadly, I guess, just connecting people with in meaningful ways and involved in just kind of learning has kind of been a, a thread throughout my experience. Um, so I graduated with a bachelor's in English. So my background's kind of literature, just really interested in storytelling. Um, for a brief while, I thought I wanted to be a film major. Um, and I think just growing up in California, you're situated around that. So that was an interest for a time. Um, but so I stuck with my bachelor's in English and then um, that led me to going abroad and working in um, a university in Vietnam. And so I was teaching English language and English literature courses there. Um, and then I decided to stay in Vietnam. And so I actually got my master's in Vietnam, but that was in business administration. Um, and I think I just didn't even think about what was out there at the time, like in terms of online learning, but they had a program with the University of Hawaii and I did my um, MBA. I was also at the time thinking maybe I should look outside of education and finishing my MBA, I was like, no, I just really want to be in academia in some way. And so that brought me back to um, teaching positions. So then we were looking, my family and I were looking at coming back to the States. And right at the same time, I started my PhD, which was in um, educational sciences. This was from the University of Kentucky. And they had a focus on school technology leadership. So it was kind of a broad-based P through 20 program. So I worked with um, principals and um, those folks in K through 12 environment, a couple of higher ed folks. And that's what kind of really focused me more towards the study of instructional design as well as working in the field. So um, scholarly background, I think really interested in open education, 
open educational resources and what the potential there is for um, kind of combining areas of access and equity in instructional design, um, looking at universal design for learning. And then um, I primarily I've been situated in like teaching and learning centers in my role. And so looking at like structures and leadership in those positions and those um, departments in higher education is kind of an area of interest. That's so cool. That's such like a unique background coming from like MBA, English and like, and then educate. That's so awesome. Um, so that actually goes really well into the next question of like, how do you use all of these, your English teaching background, your English um, bachelor's, your MBA, like in your current field as um, your position now? Yeah, I think the, the first thing is it it's broad-based enough that I can work with a good, like the humanities is there and then business and some of the more um, kind of technical fields. And then um, certainly with educators, you know, there's a lot of just common ground that be able to give examples from some of those background areas is um, really valuable. And um, I think just working with a diversity of people as well so that, um, Kind of being able to leverage that and be able to speak to faculty colleagues in ways that they're going to connect with um, and that i can give examples specifically from okay here's a course on management that i designed and here's what that looks like um, i'm feeling a little bit distant from my literature i think you know after i finish the phd i'm not reading as much fiction as i probably should so that's probably the one that's the hardest but at least can kind of plumb the depths of my memory there to to give some examples I understand that. So are you still working on your PhD or are you finished? I finished. Um, so I finished back in 2019. Okay. And that's when I moved into the faculty role after I had finished that up. It was a good impetus. There was an opportunity that came up. Um, and so I was like, I've got to get this done. So that was a good reason to get it done. Awesome. Um, so what's your greatest uh, success in instructional design um, or in your position now that you've, you've accomplished? Um, for me, I think thinking about this question, it was really about just the partnerships that you can foster. So right now that looks like more so a partnership with my students um, in our program. And so being open to their feedback and just building kind of a foundation of trust so that in the design of my own courses, I can kind of have this consensus building. Um, I'm a real fan of kind of a constructivist approach. So being able to have students kind of be um, co-mediate that level of learning that goes on and just being open to the student feedback and direction. Um, so as I was mentioning, we have really diverse learners in terms of their backgrounds. So being able to meet their own needs of like where they wanna go with the degree is really important and letting students drive and direct that. Um, and I think that makes the, instructional design piece really interesting because it's not really static and it's not really kind of uh okay what can we only do in the lms but we get to play with a lot of different tools and that's good and valuable for them in their profession as well um the other example i, I thought of was just kind of keeping with that theme of partnerships is um so prior to moving into this faculty role i was at a higher education institution um, and one of the projects there that I'm really proud of 
um, which actually I can take very little credit for because it was mostly my colleagues working on the project and I was more um, in kind of managerial role of the project. Um, but they have a, a master's in teaching and learning um, and it's really highly rated program. But so the design itself is fantastic. But what I really was proud of with the program was kind of the fostering that relationship with the, the faculty team. Um, it was just so much about mutual trust. So they really trusted us to um, just on an individual instructor level, that was really important. So working with an instructional designer um, for all the courses, but um, and having that experience where a, a faculty colleague just really comes to you and really trusts you with their curriculum. But um, the program level, which is something I rarely see is, you know, who is driving that program, they really trusted uh, the instructional design team to help inform what that would look like, even from like, evaluation of the program, uh, peer review process. So being able to look at just the instruction of the program, not only the design. So I thought that was just a really valuable partnership. And it was one that I'm really proud of that I don't think it was solely us. I think it was um, the program coordinator and the dean just saying, hey, this we know the type of work you do. Um, and so we're going to trust you to build this project together. And so that was really, really, I'm still very proud of that because of just the level of, that they opened themselves up to that kind of trust and rapport relationship. Yeah, that's amazing. Like that's something you should seriously be proud of because I feel like sometimes that can be difficult in instructional design, right? I feel like the one thing that I struggled with when I first got into the career was um, that these courses aren't mine and I'm not building them for me. And so being able to partner and like have the opportunity to really create a really well-rounded course for or program for students, that's amazing. Yeah, it was really great. I think, you know, sometimes you see you've got one instructor in a program and they're really on board and then you go to the next instructor and maybe they, you know, just they've taught the course face to face for a long time. There's all sorts of just nobody's putting these barriers up, but those barriers exist. Um, yes. And, you know, I'm, I'm protective of my curriculum in the same way. So uh, to have that across a program was something really unique. Very cool. And it sounds like you're a great um, instructor too, that's doing great role modeling um, in terms of like receiving feedback and giving feedback to your students, I think will benefit them a ton once they get into the field. Yeah, that's the hope. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what's your greatest challenge as an instructional designer or in your work as with instructional design? Um, I think for me, and it's something I've tried to be a much more reflective of recently is like, I'm not a first generation college student. Um, I, you know, had a lot of opportunities and come from kind of a place of privilege in terms of my own education and background. And so it's really this concept of designing from the margins. Um, and so how can I embody that in my instructional design approaches? How can I bring out this mindset that considers how learners engage um, with what I design. And I think helping our students understand that as well. Um, I've been really happy in just the diversity of the student body that we've been able to have in our program. And so that challenges me to um, really understand. And then getting to see students kind of 
really take on that mindset of, okay, how can I really consider accessibility from the start? Or what are the ways in which I'm selecting and curating content that is gonna um, push towards kind of equity-based and justice-based approaches to instructional design? So I think, you know, I'm, it's still reflection on my part. It's being open to the different voices in the field so that I'm kind of just reflecting on my own biases and listening, um, building in those spaces within the design so that students can speak to their own experiences. And so I think that's um, where I really wanna be improving continually in terms of instructional design and probably the greatest challenge because sometimes I'm not aware of what those biases are um, from the get-go. So that's, a, that's I think where I'm most reflective, I guess, in my my own challenges in the field right now. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. I love that. <laughs> that's even on your radar. I think that's amazing. Yeah, thanks. I, yeah. I, you know, it's one where you're hope, you hope you're being as reflective as you need to be um, in those moments. And I think just putting the questions out there and um, coming at it with that perspective from the get-go is hope is helpful but um you know listening and being open to what others are sharing and and taking an active role in that i think is so important agreed absolutely um so what's something that you wish you would have known before getting into instructional design sure i guess i wish i knew that the field even existed when i got to start I didn't think to even like look at programs or opportunities in this field. And it was something kind of late of, oh, I can do that. But now that I, I'm in it and I think about it, you know, it really is the perfect blend of kind of pushing the envelope of what's possible um, while staying grounded in a discipline. So I feel like there's a little bit of kind of this rebellious ethos that I like. I think that's why I was drawn to literature as a major initially. Um, so I, I love that you can kind of take a framework and operate within that framework, but really be able to kind of consider what are the possibilities, what can we do in online learning or instructional design, um, what the potential is there, is uh, available for you. So um, I think also just the potential outside of higher education space, you know, we were talking about that, just both of us coming from um working in instructional design in a higher education context uh what other opportunities are out there and so that's something i think i probably would have explored earlier on and i'm always trying to learn more because the field is so vast so you can and it, it really can look very different depending on the industry you're looking at so um just the huge potential of opportunities that are out there depending on what your interests are Yes. Oh, that's so well said. I don't even, that, that's so, I got goosebumps when you're talking because it's so, <laughs> it's so true, right? There's so many, I feel like depending on where you apply, even instructional design means different things. And so at all, you can like find your own little niche and own little area that you can really excel in. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then what is your best piece of advice for somebody who, and coming from you as an instructor of instructional design, this is like perfect question, but like, <laughs> what are some pieces of advice that you give your students that are getting into the field? Um, I think the big thing is, you know, the, 
the tools of the trade are going to change constantly. So uh, being flexible and being open to those and being agile in that way is going to be key. But the big thing I think for me is is cultivating the soft skills of the trade. So um, yes, you'll be looked for, to for advice on the technologies and the tools themselves, but building the capacity for like rapport and trust, um, being a good collaborator, um, knowing when to push on like your faculty or your SME um, a little bit, or when you kind of need to let those ideas kind of germinate a little bit more. And then um, just some of those things that, you know, they're harder to teach. I think it's the things that uh, make really good instructional designers is their, their people uh, skills and the, the way that they can interact with others. Um, I think all of those elements are going to be much more valuable in the long run than necessarily like the tools that we're using. So um, I think just that that focus on people, both who you're working with, and I think that's going to go a long way, but also then thinking about who are your learners and um, how do people learn best. Uh, all of those elements are going to be essential. So that's kind of the, I would say, Perhaps for a lot of us, we get into the field because we love working with technology, but um, focusing on the ways that it connects with each other, I think is gonna be more beneficial in the long run. Yes, and I love that you brought that up because I, I always have people messaging me asking like, how do I learn HTML or how do I learn Storyline? And I always have to say back like, you can learn those on the job. Like you mm -hmm. don't like, those are skills that no matter what tool you use, they all do the same thing. It's really, like you said, those soft skills of working with other people, um, being able to provide constructive criticism, gain, you know, feedback, um, back. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. It's, it's those soft skills that are, um, amazing for instructional designers. All right, and then last question, I just like asking, um, just because I'm always trying to steal what other people are reading, um, but what <laughs> what are you currently reading? It could be fiction, nonfiction, um, your guilty pleasure, whatever. Gotcha. Um, I'm kind of on a kick of two kind of intertwined concepts, and I think um, kind of foreshadowed that with some of the discussion about some of my challenges. Is So one is I've been really... Um, more in my own teaching practice, focusing on kind of this concept of ungrading. So within the context of like just alternative assessment broadly. Um, and then the other concept, kind of a pedagogical approach centered around a pedagogy of care. So, um, and I think it's just driven by looking at what are the essentials of my course and what are the things that I can take away that are there, maybe not to meet a learning outcome, or not to drive thing, but just kind of that's how it's always been done. And with the pandemic, with um, just people's capacity uh, for focusing on their own learning, I've just been focused on like, okay, how can I really show care in my courses, but also um, look at ways that are kind of human-centered. So um, for ungrading, Susan Bloom's book on ungrading is one that I'm gonna revisit this summer. Um, now that I've tried the concept out a little bit. There's also a book um, that it's called Labor-Based Grading Contracts. Um, so it focuses on an approach similar to ungrading, but it's focuses on equity and inclusion. So kind of thinking about that um, challenge that I mentioned, that's by um, Asao B. Anoy. 
and it's an open textbook. So it's kind of combining a few of my favorite things. But so that's out there available online. And then um, on the pedagogy of care side, there's actually a great pedagogies of care collection online. Um, and it's open source, kind of an open educational resource that's just a curated collection from some really great leaders in kind of the teaching and learning space. Um, so that's one that I'm going to look into more this this summer for sure. Awesome. Those sounds great. I wrote them all down because I love <laughs> I love stealing all the books. Um, um, yeah. So um, I just want to say thank you for hopping on. And um, is there anything that you want to add? Maybe something that um, came up for you that you kind of forgot to mention or anything like that? Um. You know, I would just say I thank you for the opportunity to engage like this. It's nice to have these conversations with fellow instructional designers and just to hear what other people are doing and their approaches. So um, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and talk to you. Awesome. Um, I'm going to stop recording. I really enjoyed talking to Tyler during this episode. It was amazing to hear the different perspectives that he's able to bring as an instructor designer, and now as a faculty member. It's amazing how he's using both of these perspectives to then create an amazing student experience and set his students up for success. I think the greatest takeaway in this interview is the importance of partnerships and collaborations in the online learning field. It's so important to be able to bounce ideas off of each other and work through different challenges and problem solve together. What two people can do in a project or even more is so much more than just one person attempting to create the perfect course. Thanks for tuning in to Be an Instructional Design Rockstar with Blair Stamper. I hope you enjoyed getting to hear someone else's perspective in the online learning field. Hopefully their stories were enough to inspire you and show you that you're not alone as you're going through the process of creating a course, teaching a course, or even just learning as a student in an online course. Thanks for tuning in, and I'll see you next time.